Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts and to always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us. In this week's episode, Francis Chan sits down with apologists Vince and Joe Vitale. Together they speak on what it means to not only love Jesus with our heart and soul and strength, but to love him with our minds as well. So we pray that this episode would stir in you a passion for Jesus and align your heart to love others like he does. So I am super excited today because I am with Vince and Joe Vitale, my friends, my favorite apologists in the world. Honestly, I mean that. I love <laughs> The way you guys answer questions with so much grace and truth. And uh, I invited them on the podcast today because, you know, we're, we're in the same church. We're reading Acts. We're in chapter 17 to 19. And I couldn't stop thinking about you guys. And I'm just listening to these passages over and over. Like, I forgot that Paul actually hung out a lot with uh, Aquila and Priscilla and that they made tents together. And I was just thinking, wow, we were just on that property and talking about putting tents up in these different places. Wow, we're reenacting acts. <laughs> no, but I, I just thought you guys have been such a gift to the church. And as we're talking about training up young people in the next few months that are coming our way, I'm looking at these passages going, this is amazing. This feels very much like scripture. And, and I know you guys have spent a lot of your lives even going into public forums where people just ask you any question. And, you know, people who don't believe, people who are against what we believe in the scriptures. And that's a real part of mm. our faith. It's supposed to be. And so, you know, what, what was convicting to me was, you know, when I got saved in high school, I would study, um, you know, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, there was another one by some lawyer back then. And I would read any apologetics book I could because everything was about um, telling my friends about Jesus and proving that the scriptures mm. were different from any other supposed religious book, you know, and uh and then going to uh, prophecies and everything and understanding it all. Um, but the last few years of my life, I'm looking at scripture and seeing the miracles that are going on in scripture. And I've befriended people who have seen more miracles than I have. And then I've begun to see some of these healings and miraculous. But in Acts 17 through 19, you kind of have this blend of both. So I thought, man, I'd love to just hear your insights as you guys look at those chapters, like what jumps out to you? Well, first of all, it's such a privilege to be here and, uh, you know, more than to be on the podcast, to be yeah. in church together yeah. has been such an incredible blessing for yeah. us and just to to be family. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for for having us. And I, I, I'm so encouraged, you know, even to hear about you as kind of a young believer and reading yeah. those books and wanting to reason with people because I was on the other side of that. As a non-Christian, assuming that faith had to be blind mm. and that you couldn't reason about faith. Mm. And I'm so thankful that I met some people who said, is that what the Bible actually says? And so the first 
part of my story is really reading through Acts mm-hmm. and coming across all of these words that you're talking about, examining, explaining, debating, reasoning, convincing. And I was studying philosophy at the time, and I couldn't get my head around the idea that if there was a God, he would have made me with this brain, this mind, and then not want me to use it mm-hmm. to somehow seek for him. Yeah. And so because my conception of faith was like, anti-rational or it had to be blind, I thought faith couldn't be for me. And then when I actually started to read the Bible, mm-hmm. I found exactly the opposite and primarily through Acts. Mm-hmm. Which is in a way that the opposite of me, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And mm-hmm. so my experiences of God initially, I would say were much more on the kind of miraculous Holy Spirit encounters. Okay. And it was just really I, just so convinced of the existence of God, the love of God, and, you know, it transformed me. But then I, I didn't want to be an apologist, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever this word means that people yeah. throw around. We can talk about that in, in a minute. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like I enjoy sitting around. I didn't want to argue with anybody. I didn't want huh. to spend time in these intellectual questions, but I really wanted to tell people about Jesus. And then growing up in a secular context, I grew up in London. I would, so you know, so many of my friends, every time I'd open my mouth and start talking about Jesus, they would just have questions to me, just question after question. Mm-hmm. So I came to realize I, I need to be able to talk about this, you know, that mm-hmm. I have to be able to, you know, 1 Peter 3, 15 talks about, you know, being able to give a defense, your reason for, for the hope that is in you. And and I think initially when, when I started then searching for the answers to questions and, and coming to scripture with those mm-hmm. questions and studying theology, I there was a fear in me of thinking, will the answers be here? You know, what if, mm. <laughs> what if this is hollow? Almost yeah. a fear of getting in, into the text and kind of like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, like we just pull back the curtain and there, yeah. there isn't really a magician. Yeah. There's just like a little old man, like wheeling the machine uh-huh. around and uh, would that be true of faith? And and so for me, um, it, it became so life-giving to dig into the text, mm. to bring my questions to God and realize, oh, he's a God who doesn't just want me to love him with my whole heart but with my mind as well and actually like there's so much more to him he's so much bigger there's no question that threatens him I don't need to be scared of my friend's questions it's not going to tear the whole thing down but actually you know you can have confidence that um and it's interesting one of you know we're talking about Acts 16 to oh no 17 to 19 today and um it's interesting to me you talk about the Bereans in this text Paul Paul goes Mm. you know to Berea and he's he's meeting with them and and that's that their response is so interesting to when he's sharing the gospel with them because we're told they're they're ready to receive the word there's an openness to them Mm. and that's distinctive but also that they don't just take Paul's word for it but they actually go to the text themselves and they're, they're reasoning it through and they're examining it daily to see if what he said is yeah. true. And rather than being threatened by that, you know, Paul isn't bothered, you yeah. know, he, he's, because he knows that actually if they go to scripture, yeah. he doesn't have to be scared of what they will find either because God is bigger and, and yeah. he's true. And so um, just, just that sense just gave me so much confidence in being That's able good. to not be afraid of people's questions, even when I didn't know answers. Yeah. I knew there's a text, there's a truth you can go back to. That was the actual yeah. verse that jumped at me, 1711, where it said they are of more noble character mm-hmm. than the Thessalonians because they examine the scriptures daily. Mm-hmm. And like for me, where I thought, oh, I can't be a Christian if I need to focus on reasons because that's sort of contrary to faith. That was like this breath of fresh air. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you could actually be, not only is it okay, but you actually be of more noble character because... You're somebody who says, no, I need to examine these scriptures daily to determine if what I'm being told is true. Wow. That, was, that verse was such an encouragement to me when I was still seeking. That's super good. So now, Joe, when you were growing up then, 
was your church kind of more charismatic? Like, well, we, you know, I grew up in England in an okay. Anglican church, which, okay. <laughs> which means yeah. we're evangelical, but also charismatic. We, my dad would say we, we were charismatic, but because we're English, yeah. we're charismatic with a seatbelt. You know? okay, <laughs> like, okay. like, you're nice. open, but you know, you're not yeah, going to go yeah, all yeah. the way. So, but did you see like supernatural yes, yes, things? Yeah. So, no, I did. Okay, so you were convinced because you just experienced I'd, yeah, God. I'd seen the power of God. Okay. And both in my own church context, I'd seen God speak in prophetic yeah. ways um, in my own life. And then... Um, I'd seen him, you know, physically heal people. I, yeah, I yeah. saw a demon cast out of somebody when I was a wow. teenager, which freaked me out. Wow. <laughs> I'll be honest, it absolutely yeah. freaked me out. But but there was so much. And then in my own life, I experienced God's, you know, just so many things that I was Gosh. convinced of his presence and his reality. But yeah. but I also then, you know, wanted to wrestle with my my friends' questions, and yeah. you know, which later at times became my own questions in the context wow. of studying and um, yeah, so in, in a way, we we came to it from different directions, but that's been a good thing in our in our marriage because mm-hmm. sometimes I'd read a, a verse in the Bible and it would, you know, Vince's reaction coming from a non-believing background and then into faith is every time he comes across something good and true, you know, yeah. he's like, oh, this is amazing. There's even more than I thought. Whereas every yeah. time I came across something, I made me question, be like, oh no, is the whole yeah, thing going to collapse? Am I going to lose something? And then realizing, mm. no, like even when you have questions and doubts, like. You know, in Romans talks about being merciful to those who doubt, but God will bring you through if you keep searching and pursuing him. And then when you, you come to a place where, you, where the very text that used to scare you when you first came across them, because you thought, am I going to discover something hard about God? Yeah. Actually, they became the most exciting to me because I thought I'm wow. going to learn something new about you that's going to prove your character, your holiness, that actually you're not worse than I thought. You are infinitely better. Wow. So it was a big faith faith-building journey. I love it. Yeah, I love it because most people in your position would just go, I already know he's real. You know, (laughs) why study it? But it's your heart for these other people and the questions that they're coming up with. I think it's easy to just kind of go, well, you just have to believe. You just have to have faith rather than really digging in. Which I was just thinking, I love that, you know, when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, yeah. Love the Lord your God, your heart with all of your heart, soul. And then he adds to Deuteronomy and Leviticus mm. and mind. But then I love that it says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So there's a connection between love for your neighbor yeah. and living out this greatest commandment of loving mm. the Lord with your mind. And I think that's what it was for Joe. She didn't need to study those things and prepare for her own faith. But if she was going to actually love her friends, then she needed to be able to respond to their questions. But even bigger than that, I think, I mean, look at, so like Paul in Acts 17, right? He, he gets to Athens and we're told you're immediately in in verse 16 that he's, he's deeply troubled by all of the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. And so this, this, this like phrase in Greek, deeply troubled and parox, you know, it, so in, in the Old Testament, Greek, the Greek version of the Old Testament, that is the same word that is used to describe God's own reaction to idols. This, this distress mm. that he feels whenever there are idols, this deep grief and anger. And so I think, wow, like there's an intentionality here that Paul's, Paul's heart is mirroring God's heart. And wow. I think, well, why is that? Why is he so mad? Because he's he's jealous for God. He wants wow. God to have the glory that he deserves. And, and that is what motivates him to then go out and evangelize. So I think, yes, like you evangelize because you love your friends. You want them to know Jesus. Yeah. But actually even more than that, what drove Paul mm-hmm. was actually first and foremost love for God. Like that's what sent him out. And I think that's the only thing that will keep your evangelistic 
passion burning because you you know you get tired like even mm. my love for people comes to an end yeah. way quicker than <laughs> I wish it were. I just get tired yeah. you know but but the only thing I think that will keep you going out keep you motivated mm. is if it's first and foremost love for God and that's again why you know 1 Peter three fifteen. You know, at the starting point for being, you know, being ready to give a reason for a defense for the for the hope that you have, it starts by saying, set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. You know, revere Christ as Lord because that's the only thing that's yeah. going to motivate you, and that will keep you going. I think I I think it's John Wesley. A few people have said it. Who knows who said it first? But definitely John Wesley said it at one point. He said, if you if you set a man on fire with love for God, then people will come for miles to watch mm. him burn. I think yes, like it's only the love for God <laughs> that will keep you burning. Gosh, that's so good. I, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't naturally think that way. Like, no, this, this very, this provokes God, this bothers God, mm-hmm. um, that, that people are saying he didn't create the world. He didn't, you know, this, this idol did, you know, this thing that I made, he made the world, you, you know, it, it's just all of these things. We don't often think about how, uh, stirred up God would be towards these statements about him. There, It's almost like if someone steals one of your works, like you finish your dissertation and I put my name on it and I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I wrote that, you know, and then suddenly I become famous, you know, with your dissertation, you know, and you, you become famous. No, it's okay. well, then you need to deal with criticism. It's okay. You can have it. That's really it. You know, we're saying, oh, no, no, it was an accident. It was just, you know, a bunch of dust was flying around. You know, it's it just no one, you know, created this and that provokes him. Yes. And and there needs to be part of us that says, no, this isn't true. This is no, my God did this. Mm. You know, you didn't put your and that seems some of what Paul is doing there in a very like gracious and loving way. Like, let me explain this God that's somehow in your heart, mm. like you somehow are seeing something like, you know, there is a God, but you've made this, you know, inscription to this unknown God. Let me tell you more about him. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me, let me explain to you what he wants you to know about him. Yes. So Paul feels that righteous anger, Mm. but then his response is so different to what mine often is. Mm. I I just find it amazing. Mm. It says, is in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And then it says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Mm-hmm. So he's greatly distressed because he sees these idols. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just want to get frustrated or run or go find somewhere mm-hmm. else where there's not all these idols. And so, so, so he reasoned in the synagogue, and then he starts off by affirming them and affirming their culture, the very culture Mm. he's so distressed by. And he starts off by actually saying, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. Mm. He gives them like a positive compliment. And then he says, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. He finds something positive Mm -hmm. in them and in their culture. And this, that chapter has been so important for us, we, we think of it and it just helps us to remember it. We think of like the Genesis one, Romans one approach, mm-hmm. Genesis one, like the image of God is always still in the person mm-hmm. that's before us that we're speaking to. And Romans one, 18 to 20, 
this person actually somewhere deep down knows God because God has made himself plain to them. They may have suppressed that knowledge, but there's a remnant of truth that's still there. Mm. So even when we're greatly distressed, rather than just getting frustrated, the questions we try to ask are, where's the remnant of good that's still in front of me? Where's the remnant of truth that's still in front of me? There's still common grace. Therefore, there's still common ground. Therefore, we can build a bridge from that to the mm. gospel. And that's what Paul does. I mean, yeah. then he goes and he spent the next five sentences, if you read it, he makes, I counted nine points of common ground between mm. him and the Athenians. So he's complimented them. He's complimented their culture, the culture that greatly distressed him. Then he finds nine points of common ground between him and them. Then he makes a philosophical argument based on their poets. So he connects with their culture and says, look, your, your poets say we're God's offspring. And if we're his offspring, then these images that you're making by your own hands can't be God. Hmm. Because God would have to exist before you. Yeah. So anything that you make can't be God who already hmm. has to exist. He makes a fairly sophisticated philosophical argument. And then only after all of that does he then come in and say, in the past God overlooked such ignorance. He's now set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he's given proof of this mm. by raising him from the dead. So he goes through all of that positivity mm. towards them, their culture, finding common grace, finding common ground, making an argument, philosophical argument from their own poets, and all that is like reaching their hearts and opening the door for him to then be able to share the gospel with them. Gosh, that's so good. As, as you were reading that verse, I was just... I was convicted thinking, God, am I still distressed by some of the things that I see? I, I'm thinking about those of you guys that are listening right now, like you're describing Paul's distress when he saw those idols. And, and I feel like sometimes we can see things so often that they just become common and they bug us. We wish it wasn't that way, but it's not a distress in our souls. Like, God, you need to change this. God, use me to change this. Like, this is what motivated him to do what he was doing was, God, I know you hate this. You're, you're not getting credit for the things that you have done. And and so I, I actually want to just pray right now for the people that are listening, believing that this prayer will do something and stir in us that type of distress. God, I just, I pray for myself. I pray for everyone that's listening right now. God, I just, I see the evil in the world and I don't like it. And I, I, I don't want my kids to see it. But God, it doesn't distress me. The way I feel like Paul was distressed, I pray that you would change my heart in that. God, that our love for you would just cause us to be distressed when we see these things that attack what you've created and how you created them to be. Mm. I pray that it would distress our souls to know that these are people created in your image that are believing something that just isn't true. And that they're creating these idols. So, God, I'm just praying for everyone that's listening right now. Just by your spirit, Lord, that you would stir our hearts if they've gotten cold. God, that these things would bother us to the point of action. That we would love people. And that we would do like the Apostle Paul did and just find common ground and start these conversations in reason. Mm. 
in Jesus' name. I mean, there's there's still so much more I want to talk about, so we'll just keep going. Great. Um, but uh, I know you guys probably don't like to talk about this, but I, <laughs> I just don't know. I seriously don't know, but I think it's helpful for the audience too. Like your schooling, like where you went to school, what degrees you got. Uh, I know <laughs> you know, it's not stuff, but I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you went to high school. <laughs> Way back when. Yeah. Did you guys go to college together? I forget. Eventually. Uh, eventually. You, right. you, you, you start, Joe. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm, so, <laughs> well, I'm evidence of my undergrad. He's a little older than me. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought, I assumed well, that, but. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just five and a half years. Um, but um, yeah, so high school and um, took a year. I wanted to be a missionary. So I went and spent a year in Uganda between high school and college. Because okay. I was like, oh, I just want to go. Yeah. And, um, But God convicted me while I was there that um, while the people, I, I was in Uganda. and What the, part of Uganda? Uh, in Mbale. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's like a few hours okay. outside of Kampala. Right? Okay. But yeah, while I was there, I just um, sensed God saying, you know, the people here actually, they, um, they're, maybe physically poor, but in some ways they're spiritually mm. richer than the people in yes. your own context. And I've called you to your own context, mm -hmm. which was the last thing I wanted to hear. Uh -huh. <laughs> people are so cynical and apathetic where I was from. But anyway, so I sent some calling me back, go to university, study theology. So um, I, I did undergrad in theology, then I did a master's in biblical interpretation, and then a PhD in the Old Testament. So okay. that's my background. And that I met Vince during my undergrad in theology. Wait, where did you get your PhD? At Oxford. Oxford, All of them okay. were just, I, I Oh, leave. everything was in Oxford. I just went there and didn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> so you find something you like. You just... <laughs> Mainly a husband. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm stuck. laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, sort of culturally Catholic background, but okay. not church going. Um, and then I was at Princeton for my undergrad playing soccer at the time, and two of my teammates invited me along to a Christian gathering. Wow. That's the first time I think I ever, you know, really experienced people sort of worshiping in a way that was just deep to them. I walked into the room, and I just immediately knew that whatever these people meant when they said they were a Christian was different from whatever I meant by just saying, well, I'm Italian-American from New Jersey, therefore yeah. Catholic, therefore Christian. And it was really disorienting for me because mm. I thought life was about, you know, being the best. Yeah. And here's this like group of my peers who we walk in a few minutes late and they're just like singing their hearts out mm. to this invisible God. And I start listening to the lyrics and I realize they're singing precisely because he's so much better than them. You know, mm. Giving him worship is very disorienting for me. But my, my journey to faith happened at Princeton. Uh, and part of it was like, asking questions mm. about the resurrection, like could this really have happened mm. and having people come alongside me and provide me with answers, reasoning from the scriptures. Like when I read through Acts, I, I just think to myself, that's exactly what people did with me. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Mm. And I, I arranged meetings actually with two of the um, New Testament professors at Princeton because I was hearing from Christians mm -hmm. and they were saying, the resurrection fills this hole between what should have been the movement ending death of Jesus and then the eruption of Christianity. Hmm. But these two professors were not Christians. Yeah. And I thought, surely they're going to have other answers mm -hmm. for how we can fill that, yeah. that gaping historical hole. And 
one of them sort of glanced in the direction of a mass hallucination theory, which really doesn't have any credibility to it for a whole variety of reasons, and glanced in that direction without conviction. The other professor told me that um, as a historian, he simply wasn't interested in the question. And the assumption seemed to be, as soon as we talk about the miraculous, we're no longer talking about history. And I've never hmm. been able to understand why he thought you could sort of make that assumption at the outset rather than actually hmm. follow the evidence wherever it led. So my, my sort of formative years in faith began at Princeton, partially through reasoning through the very same stuff that Peter and Paul were talking people through in Acts, and then going to people who thought differently and realizing Huh, there's a big difference between intelligence and wisdom. I just sort of assumed, like, here are people who are professors in the religion department at a top university. Like, of course, they're going to have robust answers to these questions, and, and some of them didn't. And I, I went to graduate school in England. That's where I, I, I met Joe over at Oxford, and the kind of journey continued at that point. Um, but I'm really thankful almost immediately after I came to faith, I wound up on a missions trip. And okay. I didn't know what a missions trip was. I knew, <laughs> I knew these friends of mine were going down to Panama City Beach for spring break, you know, and I went with them. I kind of knew it was going to be a Christian conference of some sort. I didn't know we'd be walking the beach and actually like sharing the gospel with people. Wow. But this older brother in Christ, a couple years older than me, sort of took me under his wing and we sort of walked the beach and had a chance to share, you know, my newfound faith with a couple of people. And I can still remember the face of, of one man who, who just, you could like see almost something tangibly change in his eyes as he began wow. to see Jesus for who he was. And so I, at that point I knew very little, but I'm so thankful that I've never known Christianity outside the context of sharing Christianity. And I think so much of my own discipleship happened because there was that passion to share faith with others from yeah. early on. So you finished your your graduate work all at Oxford also? That's right, all the graduate okay. studies. And then did you guys teach there or something? Or? And then I, I took a, a job at Wycliffe Hall, which is one of the it's a permanent private hall of the university. And okay. then I was uh, for a number of years on the Faculty of Theology and Religion at the university Okay. Um, before I managed to... Pull Joe back to America. <laughs> Wait, so you were you in the on the faculty there? No, I wasn't. So I was doing my PhD. Oh, so you well, were well, you were a student teaching. there? Uh, yeah. Okay. Was he your teacher? No. I <laughs> 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 He, you know, it's, I mean, okay. yeah, thank goodness, no. He okay. edited Save a couple of my essays. I've never seen anything so covered in red pen as one mm -hmm. essay I once handed him to submit for my uh, master's Seriously? application. Like he, I he thought gave, I was being so helpful. Like he's such a philosopher, right? He's like, the more comments I can give you, the more love I'm showing you. And so wow. he gives you like half an hour of feedback. Serious? And at the end, he just goes, so well done, babe. And I just burst well into tears. No. <laughs> Did you really? Did you really? Like, I was like, I saw that going differently oh, in my head. <laughs> Like, we had different oh love languages gosh. at that point. That, you know, we worked it out since. That's so awesome. But now, no. praise God, yes. now neither of us, you know, ever really teaches or yeah. preaches without the other one having seen it. So yeah. now, we're, now we're better now at that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Now, I'm sure you've heard that comparison before. Like when I'm reading about Aquila and Priscilla, I mean... I just think you guys are the modern version of that. I, I, have you heard that before? I take, that's a huge compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, just see, like, here's this couple that took Apollos and just 
helped him through his theology. And, mm-hmm. you know, a guy with so much fire and passion. And I'm thinking about all these young people that are gonna, about to come through. I'm like, Lord, you couldn't have put a better couple here. They're Aquila and Priscilla. They're right here. I mean, is, is that kind of what you see some of your life work being? Yeah, and that's always encouraged us. Like, you know, the word they in that passage really encourages yeah. us that the two of them, they went and explained further to Apollos so he could be better equipped. You know, there yeah. was something about the, the two of them where, you know, they were able to impart to Apollos what he needed to understand better together as a couple than just one of them or the other. And yeah. I certainly feel that way um, with Joe. I mean, we love doing Q&A together because Joe's background is in biblical studies. She did, did her PhD in the Old Testament. Mine is more in, in philosophy. And uh-huh. so I got, you know, I feel so much more yeah. confident when I'm yeah. there with Joe because we get the variety of questions. Yes. And some of them I'm eager to tackle and some of them I'm eager to look to my left. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't ask me about science. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but even just the way you guys communicate together, I mean, everyone says it. It's like, I mean, you're great, Vince, but <laughs> it's like incomplete now that we've heard you two together. I mean, it's the moment you start talking in your accent. I know, it's you, exactly. Oh, everyone oh, just smiles and everyone's so happy. I can say the stupidest thing. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that was really good. Oh, yeah. Play it back slowly. It wasn't very good. It was just the accent. Ah, it's just the team. Gosh, I just love that. Yeah. You know what? I want to stop and pray again because <laughs> I, I, I want, this is so rare that it kills me, you know, that couples are a team in ministry. Like it really kills me because you guys are such a picture of that, of a completeness, you know, that either one of you alone, you're great. You can do your thing, but Together, there's just something. And I think, I don't know, just I think of young people listening right now, not to settle, because mm-hmm. I think of the team where, you know, yesterday is Mother's Day and, mm-hmm. you know, just being with my family of 14 now, you know, like my wife and I looking at our kids and son-in-laws and grandkids and just going, this has been so fun. and. Every time Lisa's with me and we get to do things together and teach together, it's like, ah, it's just another level. It takes so much pressure off. Mm -hmm. It's fun. You trust each other. And I just want to pray for more of this. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you've done and Vince and Joe. And I'm so grateful that they're out here and that they can partner with us and whatever you want us to do in the future, Lord. We're just thrilled to serve you. But Lord, I'm, I'm just praying. I just feel compelled to pray for everyone who's listening. If they're single, Lord, that they would look for someone that, that they would really partner in ministry with, Lord. Someone with the same passion and desire to make disciples and to do anything, to go anywhere for you. And God, I pray for those that are married, that Their marriages aren't going well, and it's not centered on you. Mm. God, I know it breaks their heart as they're listening to this. And they may even be listening in tears and praying in tears right now. And God, you are the God of miracles. And so, Father, would you do something in their lives, Mm. in their marriages? Whoever isn't walking with you, Lord, would you pour your grace out upon them? 
God, all I know is I just don't see many families serving you together with joy like you wanted it. God, this is what provokes you. This is what you created marriage to be. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would just restore, pour your mercy out, and give wisdom to the young people who are making decisions about marriage, that they don't go in a direction where they're not going to be together Mm. with someone who deeply loves you and wants to serve you with their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man. Yeah, so, I don't know, I'm looking at these passages, even that, that school in Tyrannus, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what do you guys know about that? Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know if it was a literal school, or, I mean... Been open to it? Yeah, so in that's Acts, in um, Acts 19. 19, right. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's, this is such an interesting um, situation here. I mean, because we see this model, right, when Paul is... You know, he'll go to a town and first off, he'll go to the synagogue. You know, Uh he'll go to the place where I guess he's looking for wherever there's already a potentially receptive audience to the message. So the synagogue is the obvious place. You you already share the um, trust in the authority of the scriptures. There's an easier common ground to to go from. But um, but he'll also look for wherever there's another opportunity. And then this is interesting because we're told he's boldly preaching in the synagogue. He's arguing persuasively, which again, is that connection Mm -hmm. going on there. I think sometimes people think, well, you know, I just preach the word of God, but don't worry about persuading or, you know, but these things in Paul, they're so bound together, this, Mm -hmm. this act of of persuasion and, um, you know, just using the reasoning. That's such a key piece of, of what he does. But, but, you know, don't forget, like two verses before that, he's already laid hands on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, the Holy Spirit has come. He's laid hands on people. They've spoken in tongues and prophecies. So we're seeing it all together. We're seeing the miraculous. We're seeing yeah. the power yes. of the Holy Spirit, both through um, these kind of miracles, but also working through his his um, preaching and his teaching. And so um, he, you know, he leaves the synagogue because people become stubborn. They speak out against him. But he doesn't leave the town. He doesn't yeah. quit the town. Instead, he says, "Okay." Fine, I'm going to set up a school, and I'm going mm-hmm. to start these, you know, these daily discussions, and and he does that for two years. So right. Every yeah. day, he's in the school, just in Ephesus, just teaching. And and you might think, well, you know, is that a waste of his time because he's kind of situated in one place, he's not yeah. moving throughout the towns. If Paul isn't going, who is? But what we're told is he's sitting there in the school teaching every day for two years. But then throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, they they hear the word of the Lord. So, you know, I think. We can we can sometimes think, oh, if, if you're not moving, if I stay in one place, if yeah. I'm just focused in this kind yeah. of intense teaching way, am I going to miss the opportunities for the gospel to spread? But actually, there's something about him being there. And presumably, it's the people who he's teaching who are then spreading the gospel to yeah. those other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's sowing into them. But I just find it fascinating just the context of this. You know, he was preaching in the synagogue. Then he's arguing persuasively. He's teaching not just the Jews anymore in the synagogue, but the Gentiles, anyone who will come based yeah. in Ephesus is going out to the region. And yet, and then following that immediately, we're also told at the same time, Paul is uh, performing these extraordinary miracles, these unusual yeah. miracles. Yeah. I love that they're called unusual as if a miracle was I know. Like, <laughs> even for miracles. There's like your sort of standard, like, leg things. Right, you know, you know someone comes back from the dead, but that laid hands on, but Paul had like a handkerchief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's an unusual miracle. 
miracle. I'm like, this yeah. is so challenging. That's like, crazy. <laughs> I never, I never yeah. noticed that. But just like the weaving of the two, and you know, we were talking about it before. People make this weird divide, don't mm, they, yeah. between well, there's the reasoning people over here, and there are the Holy Spirit people over here, and yeah. you know, and and we create this um, conflict between the power of God and the wisdom yes. of God, which is of the same spirit. And it's so unbiblical of us to do that. Yeah. That really struck us this time, mm-hmm. like reading through Acts. Like you brought it up earlier, Francis, mm-hmm. like the combination yes. of trusting God for the miraculous and then putting in the preparation to be ready to reason with people. And like it's often even together, like in the same passages. And it seems like sometimes the miracle happens and then it opens people's hearts to be yes. able to receive the reasoning. And sometimes the reasoning happens and then the miracle like confirms the message and so like at pentecost you know when when the disciples are heard in, in everyone's native languages and at that point it says people are amazed and perplexed and interesting the question is what does this mean but then peter addresses the crowd he reasons from the scriptures and then when people hear this then they're cut to the heart and they say, brothers, what shall we do? Mm. And then they then they give their lives, 3,000 are added to the numbers. Yeah. So it's like the miracle first, and then it's kind of wow. opened their hearts to, you see it again in chapter 3. Um, Paul, Peter heals a beggar at the temple mm. gate who couldn't walk. They're filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. But then Peter speaks to the onlookers, reasons from the scriptures, why Jesus had to come. And then many who heard the message believed. Mm. Chapter 8, Philip went down to the city in Samaria. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. So they, they saw the signs and the wonders, and that caused them to pay close attention to what he said. But then you get it in the reverse as well. So now Acts 13, when Barnabas and Paul arrived at Salamis, they first proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, so they're going through that reasoning process, but then they meet a Jewish sorcerer, false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Mm-hmm. He opposes them. Paul says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, the miraculous. He groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then it says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, I find this so interesting, it says, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Mm. Whereas, like, he's just, so they first gave the message, then there was this miracle that happened. And, like, when I was reading that, I thought I was going to say he was amazed by the miracle he just mm. saw. But it actually says he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So the miracle in some way mm. confirmed that. And then in Acts 14, it's even more explicit here they spoke so effectively in a, at Iconium that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, reasoning for him. And then it says, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So it seems to go in both directions. Like sometimes there's a miracle and it, and it opens yeah. people's hearts, but they pray for both, right? Like chapter four, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then the very next, ver- next verse, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Like that's their prayer. It's just yeah. back-to-back sentences. They're praying for both. And, you know, as Joe said, so often it's like either you have, you know, folks who are excited about the miraculous, but in some way like the reasoning is seen mm-hmm. as 
something we do on our own without yeah. the Holy Spirit, which I don't mm. think is I don't think is biblical. Like yeah. I can't reason without yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That like restricts the sovereignty, you yeah. know, of that person of God. Or or in the other direction, you know, mm. that that the reasoning is is from the Lord and, and then maybe the miracles only happened back then and they don't really happen yeah. anymore today. We kind of get like this false dichotomy between one or the other, but just reading through Acts this time, which you prompted us to do, it's just so often in the very same passage, you see both mm. either the miracle opening the door to the reasoning or the reasoning being confirmed by the miraculous. Mm. <laughs> this gets me so excited about this next season mm. we're going to jump into together because I just want to see this. Mm. I, I want to live this out completely <laughs> yeah. where, okay, and then we've, we've got these people that we're going to be training up and to train them up in both, mm. you know, with the faith that anything can happen, yes, but also, hey, I want you guys to know how to defend your faith. I mean, I'm excited about this. I, I'm just looking at all these little facets of, of mm. Acts 17 to 19 and going, we can do all of this yes. yeah. in modern day, right here. I mean, even when you, you talked about the two years earlier, Jonathan, I'm like, maybe I should just not travel for two years. I, I seriously, <laughs> I'm thinking that. Any. There's a couple things I've committed to, but I'm just thinking, mm -hmm. no, this is more exciting to me. If we can have this full picture here, yes. mm -hmm. you know, and see it all and be bold in what we say and go against the culture and some of these things, but then God to authenticate this message through the signs and wonders and, mm -hmm. and to be praying and doing it out of love and being provoked out of love for God and love for people. And, and where the church becomes a part of that apologetic where it's like, wow, look at this group of people that are mm -hmm. going after, but they love each other and they'll, they'll give anything for each other. Like this can happen right yeah, now. That's right. And, and I'm so encouraged by Acts 17 because, you know, it's easy to read this stuff and think, well, that was then, this is yeah, now, yes. 2,000 years. Yeah. What does that but I'm like, we are in, if ever we were in Athens, mm -hmm. we're in Athens right now. I mean, okay, so Paul is dealing with like the Stoics and the Epicureans. Yes. So Stoics are like pantheists. So they're yes. like, you know, everything is spiritual. Mm. I mean, what is more new age? The, yes. you know, the universe speaks to me or kind of like this. Yeah. I mean, look at our culture, right? The yes. horoscope apps are used by the millions. Mm. You know, like you go to like Target and there's like first spell, like little witchcraft kits. Uh, I mean, every romance novel right now is on Amazon is about like witches. I mean, yes. it couldn't be more into this kind of, you know, nature is divine, worship the goddess, like all of this kind of, I mean, it literally is the descendants of, yeah. of this certain philosophy. And yeah. then and then you look at the um, the Epicureans who, who were basically... And, um, you know, they sort of believed maybe a God existed, but if he did, he was so un so deistic, so uninterested mm. in us that basically he had nothing to do with us. Everything is random. Everything, yeah. you know, there's no plan, no purpose to your life. So just, mm. in, you know, indulge yourself in pleasure. And I'm like, mm. well, that's materialism and hedonism right yeah. now. You know, everything is random. There is no, like, design or wow. purpose. It's all just, like, atoms flung together. And so, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow yeah. you die, just, like you know, entertain yourself to death. And yes. so I'm like, this is not ancient stuff. This is our culture right now. And, you know, with with technology being what it is, we have access to the whole world. Every idea is in our space. I mean, we're in San Francisco. I'm like, you don't yeah. see the intersection of the new age and naturalism more clearly yes. than in this place. Like yes. it couldn't be more techie, but also there's so much, you know, about, yeah. about the new age. I'm like, this is Athens, that's where we wow. live. And so, you know, if ever we needed to like look uh, at a model mm -hmm. for, for how do you engage and 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 it was so good. I, I just love what you said, Vince, about you know building that bridge because 
you know, when you're praying, Francis, about let us be distressed, mm. I was thinking like, yes, and amen, let us be distressed, but mm. let our distress, you know, lead to love and to yes. bridge building. Because, I mean, people talk about it. We're in a culture of outrage right now. Even yes. our social media is designed, you know, the articles that are most wide read are the outrage ones, the ones that make you the most angry, the ones that get the most likes. Mm. And so more and more, you know, we wind up in these mm. bubbles where we just read things that outrage us. We get distressed, we get mad. And so what's happening in our culture, we're like mm. divided, we're fractured, we hate each other, we want to kill yeah. each other right yeah. now. And so our reaction, we get distressed, but our reaction is not a holy distress. Mm. Yeah. It's not a God-given distress. Mm-hmm. It's that I'm mad at you and exactly. I want you to die distress. Yes. I want to cancel you. I want to, I'm not going to talk yes. to you. I'm, I'm going to make up lies about you. I'm going to mm-hmm. assume the worst about you. And We're going to counter culture. We're going to go to war against culture. Yes. The yeah. exact opposite of what yes. Paul does in yes. Acts 17. You know, so I'm just like, look, but look at Paul. He's like, Vince said, like nine points of, of confirmation, but it doesn't mean he compromises on the truth. Yeah. Right. Yep. You know, he still says to them, like these idols you're building, you know, that mm. yes, like Epicureans, you're right that God is so far beyond, but you're wrong that he's uninterested. He's personal. He's the creator who made you. Mm. But then he says, you know, to the Stoics, he's saying like, yeah, you're right in a sense that, that like kind of yeah. says there's something sacred about yes. life, but you're wrong that everything is God. He is transcendent. He's above. Mm. You are made. You can't worship what your hands have made. And, you know, I think about humanism as a worldview that says we are the solution to our own problem. Yeah. Like that, you know, by we can fix it if we just try hard enough yeah. and just come up with a better society, better politics, better whatever. We can fix ourselves. And I'm like, mm. you can't fix the human heart. Like right. we're in the 21st century and look what's happening in Ukraine right now. We're, we're killing each other, but it's not just Ukraine. We're killing each other in our culture. We kill each other online. Like we, mm. like the human, I, I think it was, um, was it Oswald J. Smith who said, um, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And so you can't like create something with human hands and then look to that to save you. <laughs> like, mm. That's like mud, you know, like wow. only the living God can save you. And so he affirms it, but he also says, you're, you're too small. You're thinking too small. Yeah. Like, mm. And so, you know, we look at idols in Athens and we think, well, I'm not making idols. I don't go yeah. out and build a gold, whatever. Yeah, but sure. you do yeah, make do. an, you make idols every day. But like think of humanism. That is the idol that says we will save ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and Paul's like, you cannot save yourself, but there's a man who's appointed by God who will judge the world. And there's evidence for this because he's erased him from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so I think what is a more relevant message for yeah. today than Acts 17? And I think one of the greatest challenges you know, of the Bible is, are we actually in relationship with people and in community in such a, pe- a way that people are asking questions of us that allow us to get into these conversations and have this sort of reasoning process yeah. with people? Like Joe mentioned, First Peter earlier, First Peter 3.15, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Like, are we doing that as a Christian community? Is Christ truly set apart as Lord? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, you know, for most of us, like not everyone is called to be a Paul standing up in front of the Areopagus. Like, but but all of us, like First Peter is written to the body of believers mm. as a whole in exile. Like all of us are supposed to be prepared. But what I find most challenging about this verse is what it assumes. It assumes that you're in relationship with a lot of non-believers. Mm. that those relationships are deep enough that they would trust you to bring questions to you. And then perhaps most challenging that we are living lives that provoke people Mm. to ask us questions about the hope that we have. Yeah, That's all the starting point 
to then be able to actually wind up in the conversations where we can mm. persuade people. So it all goes back to like, who are we as the church and are we living in such a way that is provoking people who we love and who we're actually invested in relationships with to ask us the questions that allow for this. Well, this is good. I am so excited. I'm just so excited to see what God does next. I mean, I have so many questions, so many things we can talk about, but there'll be many more podcasts and interviews and everything else. But I just, I'm excited. I just Us love too. it. It's, it's a fun time in life. I mean, it is a crazy, crazy time in the world. And we've never seen anything like it. But I just really believe we were made for this. Yes. And that God put us together right now for a reason. And we'll figure that out. And God's bringing more people here in the Bay Area for a reason. But uh, God, I just pray that everything we see here in the scriptures, Lord, God, that we would see these things here. You would stir our hearts to love people yeah. so much and come up with answers and take the time to reason and not just get frustrated. Pray the church would bear with one another and love one another so it's no longer a distraction to, to people who want to know truth, but they look at the church and they see the... I don't know, just the fighting and the wickedness and the scandals, God, just would you change things, Lord? Teach us, Lord, how to, in your wisdom, start these conversations, mm. whether it's in religious venues or total secular venues, God, just to have these discussions about you. Holy Spirit, help us in our reasoning, in our study. And God, would we just see an outpouring of your grace and mercy and power through signs and wonders and baptisms and repentance yes. and holiness and a church that is pure, deeply in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. We will see you next time with a new episode, but until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org. Thanks.